Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Well, we've got an interesting show today because I know you are always interested in sibling loss and uh, gets a short shift in life and a great show. So why don't you introduce our guest? Yes, and our guest is here with me in the studio, which is great because she goes to NYU and lives here in New York. And her name is Molly Gander, and she is a documentary filmmaker and producer of the Academy Award-nominated documentary, Gasland. She is currently enrolled in a master's program at New York University, and her most recent documentary film, Peanut Gallery, was one of eight documentaries that was selected to screen at Slamdance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. And it's based on the death of her 14-year-old sister, Amy, to leukemia, when Molly was just 10 years old, and Molly has spoken in my class at Columbia University on sibling loss, and I'm excited to have her in the studio today. Hi, Molly. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Welcome to the show, Molly. We're really happy to have you on. Heidi's told me some great things about you. Oh, thanks so much. So, Mom, Molly has a fabulous documentary film. For anyone out there that really wants to understand sibling loss, watch this this film because it really brings you into a family that has had a sibling die and shows you like the dynamics between the parents and between Molly and it's it's a really fabulous movie. You know Molly, I was uh, when I've been uh, reading about it and thinking about it, I was wondering, oh my goodness, you went for a while without uh, talking too much about it. I know as a parent, you know, when you have a kid die in the family, it's uh uh, you know, when Scott died, my daughter Heather was 14, you were younger. Um, it, there are really some uh, strange family dynamics because you don't know what to do with it, how to talk about it. Everybody's worried about each other. Uh, how did it go in your family? It took me a long, long time to talk about it. I mean, um, I started making the film uh, 16 years after she died, and, and during the filmmaking process was really the first time that my parents and I spoke in depth about my sister's death. Um, so I think we didn't know how to talk about it, and we didn't know where to begin, and my parents really had no idea what I was going through, is, is what I learned during the filming. I mean, they were so surprised that I'd been holding this in for so long. Now, she died of leukemia um, when she was 14 and you were 10. Um, what were you just kind of the quiet one while everybody was focusing on her leukemia? You know, must have been a time that she had it. She didn't just suddenly die. Right. She was diagnosed um, at age six, so when I was two. Mm. Um, so for much of my childhood, my early years, I remember her as being sick or that there was a th the threat of illness. Um, so it was a big part of growing up to me and to who she was, and it was um, pretty normal to me in a way. So I think um, I had a kind of special lens on who she was because I didn't see her, I think, as sick as much as outsiders did. You know, I didn't look at her and see a cancer kid. I saw my sister. That's how, you know, what she'd always been like. Um, did, did you ever worry that you would get cancer, like that it was contagious or something, or not really? Not re I mean, maybe when I was really young, mm -hmm. um, but not that I re remember. How do you think it impacted your growing up years? Well, I think um, 
I mean, actually, I I wasn't the quiet one. I was sort of the clown of the family. So I think I felt a lot of pressure um, to be upbeat and to keep my sister entertained and to kind of stay out of the way. You know, I I knew that um, my sister's problems were very real and you know, life and death, um, literally. And I knew that um, my task was to um, just kind of not not create problems for the family, you know. So I, I kind of did well in school and, and kept my mouth shut. That's a lot of responsibility. And I remember in the, in the trailer your mom saying that she called you the ray of sunshine. That's right. So yeah, you were that that person in the family, like you said, you got good grades, you didn't create problems because, like you said, your sister's illness probably took up a lot of emotional and psychological space in the family. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, it mm-hmm. did, you know, and I didn't realize that as a kid that that's what was going on. Um, but I I think also after she died, I continued um, in that vein because it, I mean it was such a formative. Um, part of my personality. You know, my sister was sick for so long when I was growing up and um, I, whatever it was in my personality, you know, I took took on this role of, of my own accord, you know, be, being the ray of sunshine for my family. And after she was gone, I think I felt that same responsibility um, to, to not cause problems uh, for my family and not um, cause a scene, you know. I, I felt that my um, problems weren't as important as hers had been, you know. Um, and so that's kind of what led to um, me not telling my parents for almost two decades that I was upset about this, you know, not kind of realizing um, how it had impacted me to um, act that way for so long. So you mi- do you feel like you minimized your own grief? Oh, certainly. Yeah, which is so often the case in sibling loss, mm-hmm. and even more so with you given the way your sister died. So how did you get to a place where you almost didn't even acknowledge your loss, almost didn't even feel like you had the right to it, and minimized it, which I hear so much in siblings, in all of us, to a place that, where you felt like, okay, now I have to tell my story. I had a loss, too, and this was significant, and this had a huge impact on my life. Mm-hmm. Well, I felt like I had to be strong, you know, because that's how I felt um, when Amy was sick. And I also heard um, her getting praised a lot for um, facing her illness with courage and, and stoicism and and, you know, not complaining, which, you know— she was sort of amazingly good-natured about having cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, despite the fact that she had leukemia, um, got very good grades and um, did amazing crafts projects and sold um, beaded necklaces to nurses at the hospital. You know, she was always working on something. She was very, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people um, praised her for that. And so I was aware... Um, you know, and I idolized her. I looked up to her. So that that was kind of my model of um, how I should go through life. And I, I don't think, you know, I guess in college and, you know, it was kind of get the transition from college kind of into the real world where um, 
I started to really feel um, kind of disconnected and, and disassociated with, with what I was trying to do with my life and, and realized that I was having a hard time, you know, um, being in relationships and having a hard time. You know, I was working in um, documentary and television and was ostensibly doing well. You know, you know, I mean, I was whatever, starting a career, I guess, but, you know, not able to kind of feel like I was enjoying it or feeling connected to it. And Well, well what's interesting, Molly, is you were telling other people's stories. <laughs> and then you move from telling other people's stories to telling your own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that shift. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you one thing. You talk about your parents' response. I think we often talk about parents as some kind of a unit. Uh, <laughs> did your father have a different response than your mother to making this thing and and uh, to having you uh, be at the place that you were at and and asking him to discuss this or her or, or your mom to discuss it? Um. Well, first of all, to say that my parents have both been incredibly supportive throughout the entire process, um, and I feel very, very lucky because I know um, that it's possible that that wouldn't be the case. Um, yeah, I mean, my dad has been a very good sport, you know. I don't think that it's exactly the sort of thing that he would ever uh, initiate or want to do of his own accord but he you know immediately got on board and saw you know could see that it was something that I really needed to do or wanted to do and was game I love in the in the movie too in the film where you are at dinner and and your dad says something like you you and your mom are talking about the death of your sister and your dad says something like look I can't talk about this 24 hours a day <laughs> I need to take a break and it just shows the difference in the way that people process loss and grief and heal. Totally, totally. And my, my parents are very different in in their kind of emotional metabolisms and how they express themselves. And I think that they actually had a bit of an understanding between the two of them as to, you know, that dynamic. But I... I wasn't aware, you know, I was kind of never brought into that conversation of how the three of us each were individually um, processing. Um, but yeah, I mean, my dad is um, sort of man who's not uh, right, interested to talk about his emotions all day. Mm -hmm. and, and he'll do it if he needs to, but it's not, you know. His... I like that because I think a lot of men can identify with that. Yeah. What did your parents learn about sibling loss after you did this this documentary? Oh, man. I, we both learned so much. I mean, I think they just had no idea um, the extent of the impact that this had all had on me, and neither did I. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I was uh, just saying before we started that I read um, – Empty Room, Elizabeth DeVita Rayburn's mm -hmm. book early on, as as did um, my mother. I and love that, and I'm one of the 77 siblings that she interviewed in there. Yeah. She she named me Amanda, I think. Yeah. I am Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> I've been outed. Yeah. It's a, it's a great book. I would highly recommend it to any brief sibling that's listening to the show. Yeah, or I parent. recommend it to people all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really – that kind of opened up a whole world to, to both of us. Um, and 
Yeah, and then I started going back and, and as you say, really being able to to piece together my story mm-hmm. and tell my story because I, I, I didn't really know that I had a story. You know, it was always mm-hmm. just something that had happened to me that was kind of normal to me. You know, it had just been there with my life and um, the illness and then the death. Um, and, yeah, it wasn't until I went back that I realized how deeply – it was integrated with how my personality developed and and then how my adolescence went and, you know, my relationship with my parents and everything. What I say now is that every person's grief, I think, is as different as the relationship they had to the bereaved person. You know, there are as many types of grief as there are types of human relationships, I think. And so I think it can be very tricky with families because people, you know, each person grieves in a different way and they each had a different relationship and it's obviously very uh, emotional and and deep and, and, you know, it can be very sensitive to get into that stuff and kind of stir up those emotions. Um, But I think it's so um, entirely necessary. I mean, it's, it's, helped me in so many ways um, to speak with my parents about um, the loss of my sister, not only for my relationship to them, but also for my relationships in other parts of my life and and my relationship to just, you know, what what I'm doing with my life and, and feeling, you know, um, in, in my life. Um, so... I, I mean, I my advice is just to do it, you know? I mean, do it um, I, as sensitively as possible, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking part of it is, and Heidi said it, it, it was your story to tell, that we do all have a right to our story. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's true, Mom, because I think one of the things that, as a brief sibling that I experienced is, and that other people that I've talked to experience is, we get messages from society, People say things to us like, you know, be strong for your parents. They've had the worst loss you can ever imagine. You know, don't make waves. And, you know, so we almost, we sometimes don't feel like we have the right to our own story. You know, and that we have to shelf it. And we are worried about our parents. So we kind of, and we don't want to upset them even further because they've been through so much. So sometimes we hide how we are feeling so that, like, you know, like we're, be, we're like being said today by Molly, so that you know we don't create any more problems, we don't create waves, we don't want to upset them. I, I'm wondering. Uh, one thing that comes up for me, and I would ask both of you: Are there some anger issues sometimes that you don't want to bring up? Some things that you didn't like. Definitely, and actually, what what I would like to add is that this process also helped me gain a lot of empathy for my parents because being able to vent that anger and having them understand because I mean I'm not kidding when I say they really were like so surprised by a lot of this stuff I mean it hadn't occurred to them you know and being able to tell them and be understood and also then helped me to hear their stories and imagine their experiences you know because I was um, 10 when my sister died so now Looking back as an adult, I can imagine, you know, what it would be like to go. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can more closely imagine what it would be like to go through that experience 
as an adult, you know, and my mother going to all of the hospital visits and, and um, you know, being there with my sister in that way, um, I gained a lot of empathy for, for how intense that experience must have been for her. And also um, in speaking more with my father, gained more empathy for his kind of approach too because I think because he's not the most uh, communicative, expressive person about his emotions, I kind of thought maybe he didn't have emotions or maybe he wasn't feeling anything about it. But I learned, you know, that he was and he was aware of it and he was sort of consciously dealing with it in his own way. And so knowing all that stuff um, was, yeah, enormously helpful. And I bet that they, in turn felt much more connected and empathic towards your grief process as a brief sibling mm-hmm. and were able to put themselves in your shoes. I'm thinking I think that's so key in families. If we can just kind of try to think about what the other person is going through, it does help in so many ways. Uh, I also thought it was interesting about the car experience where you're talking to your mom about, uh, you're talking to your mother about her emotions and she's not able to talk about her own anger. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of pushing her. Come on, mom. Didn't you kind of feel angry too? Wasn't that there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's a sort of common dynamic <laughs> that I have with my mother, actually. Um, and one of the more surprising, uh, in a good way, responses that I've had to the film, to people watching the film, is people coming up with me, coming up to me afterwards and saying, oh, my God, I've had that exact conversation with my mother, or oh, my God, I've had that exact conversation with my daughter. Um, so I think it's uh, something that people relate to, even people who haven't experienced uh Oh, I can't wait to loss. see the film. Where do we see it? And I know we can see a trailer mm-hmm. and tell us all about that. Uh, the film... Well, I wish I had a better answer. It'll it'll be publicly available next year, 2016, um, mm-hmm. after Slam Dance and and that sort of thing. And I'll um, people can always check my website. Yeah, uh, what is yeah. your website? Give us your website. It's uh, www.peanutgallerydoc.com, um, and the, it'll be updated information there. Yeah, and this is and you know Molly was. There were 8,000 documentaries submitted to Slam Dance, and only eight were what? Only, selected. Only eight to, were selected. Play, yeah. And so hers was one of eight. I mean, this is definitely a must-see for any family that's had the death of a child, in my opinion. So I'm excited that she's getting it out there for the world because we need to build awareness mm-hmm. for what goes on in families and how every single person is impacted and the, the family dynamic. and. When you watch this, you feel like you're a fly on the wall, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm listening to this intense conversation. I shouldn't be here, which is why I love the film. Yeah. So thank you, Molly, so much for doing this and for being a voice for brief siblings everywhere and for getting the message out there that our grief is is as important as everybody else's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, and can't wait to, to share the film with more folks. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Molly, and I'm really going to look forward to seeing the film. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Well, Heidi, uh, I love it. I I love this voice of sibling coming over in a different way. And, you know, I think with writing and uh, movies and things like that, it's, it's a whole different way to get a perspective. 
Absolutely. Yep. And she does. She she really captures the male perspective, the female perspective, the parent perspective, the mom, the dad, the sibling. She captures all of it in this film. Uh, I'm going to look forward to it. Well, thank you for uh, listening to the show today. And I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. And Heidi and I always want to remind everyone that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours till you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.